Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. Today is Tuesday, September the 12th. I always have to look off to the side to make sure I've got the right day because every day starts running together when you are fighting the federal government and the evils that are existing in this world. If your head is bobbing along to the opening song, that means you are listening to the musical stylings of my younger brother, Casey Serafin. A happy 38th birthday to him yesterday. I didn't want to take away from the 9-11 solemnity that we were opening up with, but that is my brother's song, and he is a fantastic musician in his own right. Uh, and if you hear the opening every time, I, that's my father. This is a family affair here at the Kyle Serafin Show. I've leaned on the talented members of my own clan to be able to put this thing together. We've got a really interesting show to you uh, for you today. We've got another live guest, so I think you guys are going to really enjoy that. If you've already seen the show notes, you know we're going to be talking to David Sumrall. But uh, before we do that, I want to say thanks to the folks that make this Kyle Serafin Show possible. I was literally walking upstairs, and I looked over at my wife, and I said, we are... Standing on both feet, she's uh, breastfeeding a little tiny baby. Uh, we have a healthy family simply because these people have decided to support us. And against all odds, we are able to stand against our former employer and uh, bring you guys information, bring you guys uh, interesting guests and uh, make this microphone, this platform, something that did not even exist. And I didn't even fathom it when I was working for the FBI and decided to come forward with my story. So here we go. Let's say thanks, first of all, to our OG sponsors. These are the first ones that came to us, and they said we'd like to sponsor the Kyle Serafin Show. Here they are, my friends over at Patriot Coolers. You can go to patriotcoolers.com. You can use promo code Kyle. That will get you 10% off. There's other ways to get 10% off, but that's the only way that you support the Kyle Serafin Show. Promo code Kyle, 10% off, 50 bucks or more. You're going to get yourself free shipping. And uh, if you'll notice right up on there, we've got the Patriotic Drinkware line. Uh, I think our friend Ryan Matta is sporting one of those suckers right now. He's got his, uh, there it is right there. There's the free the cup solution. It made it down to Texas. It is now a multi-state traveling patriotic cup. And uh, I have mine as well here. Look at this, folks. This is the OG one. This is the one I've been carrying around since 2017. I have the other one they sent me recently. Oh, this is kind of my jam. This is what I use in the gym. So patriotcoolers.com. Promo code Kyle. Use those suckers and uh, support them. Support our show. We really appreciate that. A couple other little things we want to uh, bring to your attention. You know my friends over at Catholic Vote. That's not Catholic Vote. There they are. Catholic Vote, the Americans' top advocacy program in the fight for faith, family, and freedom. Uh, we've got some really interesting announcements coming from CatholicVote.org pretty soon, so stay tuned to the show for future announcements. But you can also get The Loop, which is an outstanding email. It's got all kinds of great information in it, and uh, here is today's Loop. I'm looking at it right now on my screen. Uh, for the 12th, they have uh, Vice President Harris supporting a no-limits abortion yeah, they love that uh, baby killing, don't they? We've also got uh, Nikki Haley is uh, joining the Biden administration saying that Tommy Tuberville is not doing the right thing while he's holding up military appointments. Good for uh, Tuberville. Way to hold the line there, Senator. We've got a couple of other ones here. They're talking once again about uh, the anti-gun moves that are going on in New Mexico. It's a whole list of great stuff going on. Um, just check out their emails. You get them about five o'clock in the morning, my time, and they are nothing short of helpful in your day. They will get you rolling. CatholicVote.org. And uh, lest we forget, let's go ahead and give a, our free promo that we do for our buddy Garrett O'Boyle. Go to the-suspendables.com. The-suspendables.com will get you access to the Suspendables online store directly supporting the O'Boyle family. 
This is their jam. This is what he does. He's got a little press and he is going to be sending these things out. So if you guys are ordering them, there's a little delay, but they are coming out your way. You will be getting Suspendables merch soon. And we've got some really cool limited edition Suspendables lapel pins. If you want to wear them as you're dressed up, I'm sure I'm going to start wearing them on my interviews. All right. That is all the news that is fit to print on the uh, support thing. We've got uh, a rumble rant already from B. Cancella saying free the Jan Sixers, free J Sixers. Let's get started with that. We're going to be talking to David. Uh, David, welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show, bud. Thanks for getting up with us. Man, to see you this morning. It is uh, always good to wake up on this side of the grass, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. It's certainly uh, good to be able to walk out and breathe the free air, even in a uh, a country where we've decided to go after political prisoners. Huh? Man, it is a different world than we grew up in. I know you feel the same way. And yeah, there's a lot of risk in what you do and what I do. And I don't think people fully appreciate what that looks like for not only us, but our families and friends and everybody else. It's a it's a strange, unfortunately. Make sure we uh, make sure you remind me to come back to the the uh, the risk to friends and family, because I, I do want to cover that first. But first, what I want to do is find out a little bit about you as a person. We're going to talk about your work after that. So uh, where'd you come from? Where are you from? So born and raised Texas, you know, just good old around probably a hundred mile area around Dallas, Fort Worth. Uh, but I do travel. So this is not all I've seen, which is, I think, a huge, huge difference for a lot of people that don't leave their backyard very much. But I'm just a carpenter, man. I'm a Christian. You know, my dad was a pastor. Um, just have a, a feel for people, you know, a, a concern and, and a desire to uh, bring people together back in 1992. Uh, my wife was pregnant with my son and we saw the LS, you know, on television from Texas. And, and I just thought, you know, not everybody hates each other like they say on the news. And I saw what the media did with the little piece of video and divided, you know, the, the different races, I guess, for some kind of big battle. And, and, and I couldn't see raising a child in that. So we started on awareness program. Stop hate is an acronym. Start turning off prejudice, heal attitudes through education just meant to kind of start those conversations that are kind of difficult sometimes or whatever and learn to uh, get to know each other again because the fear is in what we don't know. It's the ignorance that drives that. So, you know, I, I believe after 32 years watching this whole thing continue, this is where we are now. And on one hand, it makes me feel like, hey, I haven't done my job at all. But then I see where we are in the picture right now. And I think, you know, maybe God kept it for this moment. You know, if Stop Hate did anything back in the 90s, it, it wouldn't matter now. And it's just a really strange position to be in. It's nothing we signed up for on purpose. And, uh, you know, God's got a bigger bigger plan than us. Definitely the truth. Tell me about the family. I heard you were married. I heard a kid. Do you have more than one kid? Yeah, so I was uh, married and divorced. I was married for 21 years, I think, and divorced one child, one son. And then I remarried. And now I have two bonus kids, a boy and a girl. So I've got two boys and a girl and and a beautiful wife, great family. She's a nurse and her name's Cindy. She is amazing. And I'm sure, as you know, we couldn't do what we do without the support of a super spouse. And uh, she is definitely that for me. She's a, a great helpmate and understands what we're going through in a way that most people don't. Let's talk about that a little bit, too. What's uh, What is Cindy's take when you first started and has that evolved? So we did a bunch of demand free speech. Well, it's kind of funny story on my 50th uh, birthday. She said, David, you know, it's a big birthday. You need something nice, something memorable. It's 50. And uh, I said, well, OK, I, I, I'll, I'll think about it. And she knows I'll never say anything. She said, well, do you want a truck? We can put a down payment on a truck. Or if you want to take a see your friend in Thailand, we can go over there. And 
And I said, you know, I'd really like to put about that much a down payment or a trip cost on stop hate and see if I can kind of kick it up again. I just feel like I have to give it another try. And, you know, 50 years, I hadn't done anything with it. I've never tried to blow it up bigger than something local. Um, back in the 90s, I took on the Klan and the KKK and, and the Nation of Islam and and Black Panthers. So I got a lot of death threats and stuff and kind of laid low for a couple of years and just did local things, community, you know, fundraiser things for other groups to help. And uh, so we did a lot of demand free speech things when Trump was in office, you know, from 2019, really, is when I, I my birthday was. So I put a little money in Stop Hate, got another guy to help build a website, started doing these these rallies for free speech with, you know, Lord Loomer and, and a bunch of people that were, you know, already in the movement or whatever. And uh, it was very interesting. We did one in Washington, D.C. in 2019, demand free speech. <clears throat> Excuse me. You but the one on free in D.C. was really interesting because the Proud Boys did security for us. And what makes it special is Officer Lamond, the inspector, is the same guy that they they would not let testify in the Proud Boys trial. And and I think that's amazing because I have emails from him. I have, you know, our correspondence back and forth saying I have a peaceful event, all these things. The Proud Boys are doing security. There's news clips of of reporters asking me about the Proud Boys. I said, yeah, they're my friends. They're, they're working with the police to provide security to And it's really crazy to me, Kyle, how none of that made it into the trial. You know, they wouldn't let Lamont testify. They said they threatened him with charges. Then after he didn't testify, they charged him anyway. But, you know, I could have gotten up there on the stand and I offered I was available to say there is a relationship between the Proud Boys and Lamont. They do work together. And the Proud Boys were saying, look, we were texting them all day on the 6th saying we're going to party after, you know, tonight we've got beers and girls and we're going to have a fun time and they weren't doing anything. And there's proof. And that's amazing. And I know, you know, this story about how they don't let the facts get out when, it, when it's detrimental to them. No, they really don't. And uh, actually, I read the indictment against Lamont the other day. And, and my instinct is that he was probably running the boys as either official sources or as what we would call a hip pocket source, which means you don't fill out paper book, but you're getting information from them and you're using it as uh, intel on the ground. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. I want to um, I want to kind of dig into the background. You, you said you're a carpenter by trade. You're one of many kind of blue collar trades that we've had that have, that have been in, interested in, in making America better. That's um, right. t- tell me about how you go from being a guy that's uh, swinging a hammer and uh, and looking down at, uh, you know, building something and, and then looking at the country and seeing you want to do a change there. Well, you have to kind of be careful the friends you hang out with, I guess. You know, when we started doing the demand free speech stuff, it was a tour thing and it was cool and it was an awareness. You know, there was a lot of censorship and banning and people didn't understand. They thought, oh, you lost your social media account. We're saying, no, 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 we're talking Airbnbs and banks and abilities to be a normal citizen and nobody really listened. Now you see the issue. So I saw that as a way to, you know, bridge the gap between the two different sides politically. You know, as a Christian, I guess I'm supposed to try to love everyone, right? And, and of course, the propaganda and the programming and the poison that we all drink, the Kool-Aid on both sides, I guess you want to say, there, there's a real uh, separation that is obvious, especially when you go to these events and you see the vitriol from each side. And it's really amazing to try to have conversations with people because that's when you break that barrier and say, hey, I'm not as scary as you thought or I'm, I'm not as dumb or smart as you thought. You know, I'm just a person. I'm just trying to get through this like everyone else. So. As a Christian, I think that's kind of our thing is to be active, keep your hand on the plow, you know, all those things that we hear. But 
it's more personal than that to me. And I think that anyone with children can understand that, that we don't want our kids getting beat up because of their height or weight or, or anything. And it's just a kind of a, a mutual feeling. I think everybody can, as far as in defense of their children. Now we can be idiots all day long, but when we see it start families and, and all that stuff, it's, it's a lot different. And that's really been my perspective on it. So with the free speech stuff, it, it naturally, I see what the media does. I saw it in 1992. I've always tried to expose, you know, the lies that they create or the, the misdirection, I guess is a better word. And so when January 6th came up, you know, we did the demand free speech. Before that, we did the stop the steal rallies down in Texas. I helped organize the ones at Austin at the state capitol. Had a really good time. Had great people. All peaceful events. As usual, we never have outbreaks or violence or anything. Try not to. I mean, that's the whole point. And uh, so after that, I didn't want to go to D.C. And everybody kind of convinced me. They said, you know, you kind of have to. You've been doing Stop Hate so long. This is a culmination of of all your work. And my said, you know, you really need to go. And we had a house full of COVID and a new puppy dog. I did not want to leave. But we took a handful of people down to film. You know, it was not for Trump. We didn't go for the, the parade or anything. We went to film and capture history because we know how important that is. And we spread out that day and caught some amazing stuff. You mentioned things about faith, uh, yours in particular, but maybe we can talk about uh, America. Has America lost faith at this point? Um, are you seeing any change? Yeah, unfortunately, you know, there's that part in the <clears throat> with quotes and stuff. But the one guy said something about all this is made for a moral society. You know, and honestly, I, I think that's, I, I say all the time, man, and I'm not a preacher or anything, but I do read the Bible enough to, stories and some of the things and how they kind of relate. And I always tell people, you know, you think it was bad back in Noah's time when God said enough's enough, you know, and we've got to clean this place up. I, I can't think that we're in a better place than Noah was. I, I can't think, you know, we see what's happening to the children and to people and to countries and, and it's just steamroll. And I can't think that the morality level is higher than it was during. So that turns me because we can't see eye to eye if we can't empathize. I know you were talking the other night, empathize. We can't do any of that with each other. We, we don't want to. We're taught to hate each other. It's a long game. Uh, it's propaganda on both sides. I don't think people realize that it doesn't matter which side you're on. You're still consuming what they want you to consume. And it's made and developed to pit us against each other. And look, for the first 20 years of Stop Hate, I noticed them use race, religion, sex, you know, financials, they could use to divide people. But during that process, it's like the powers that be said, I believe that we can divide everyone politically by making everything political. Now we have health issues that are things that shouldn't even be in that sphere so many times that are being used against us as people to make us see our differences and not like each other because of it i'm right you're wrong and, and that's no place to live but it's intentional and i don't think people really understand the depth of what propaganda does and and, and how it's affected every aspect of our lives from entertainment to religion to government how we interact on a social level. And, and, and when you hear the media say, hey, everybody hates each other and we're, we're this close to a civil war. But then when you go to the grocery store, 
of all shapes, sizes, colors, helping each other reach the thing on the top shelf or lift the case of water or whatever it is. Excuse me, how you doing? You don't see it in reality. So there's that disconnect. And, and we've always just tried to tell people to plug into what's real and, and have some conversations. Plug into what's real. I think those are great words. My father and I always say the same thing back and forth. People hear it on the show. Uh, Twitter is not real. Social media is not real. And, uh, and I think there's something there. In the 1950s and 60s, they used to say that um, families would, would disavow a marriage based on race. And today, there is a much higher percentage of people. That's a very low percentage today. There's way more people that would say that about political parties, that they would actually disavow a, a new spouse or they would disavow a union because of political parties. Do you remember when that change happened? You know, I don't know specifically, but, but I can tell you another point is, you know, for smokers, people that smoke cigarettes, when they started the uh, censorship of where you could smoke, you know, banning it here and there. And, and honestly, I know it sounds stupid in, in a lot of ways, but people didn't stand up for us. And, and it was just another little chip that they could take off and say, hey, we can control you. And then the seat belts and this and that. And I'm not saying these things for us but some things you're you're able to choose for yourself i mean if you have to put a warning label on everything i worry about you you know if you don't have the common sense but that's been taught away from people in every aspect kyle i, I think that's what we're seeing you know and and i tell people of all the wars that america's ever fought the only successful successful fight that we've had is against the american mind the dumbing down of america and it's a sad sad thing and i'm not calling people stupid but i am because they don't take the time to understand. They don't do their own research. They listen to the talking heads and they think, well, that's the way I'm supposed to believe. And I can't see a better example in the world than what we expect January 6th. All right. So I've called January 6th the American Rorschach test. I've said it to a number of people that attended that day and then people that are in the space talking about it. Are you familiar with the concept of a Rorschach test? Yeah, somewhat, somewhat. So just for the audience awareness, if you're listening and you haven't heard my comparison, a Rorschach test is the, the the common psychological ink blot test. It's where they put a blob of ink down in the middle of the paper. They fold it in half. It smashes down and makes a shape. You open it up and tell me what you see. And then we're supposed to be able to interpret things about you based on what you saw in this amorphous, not real shape. It's like looking at clouds and calling out a shape. But in many ways, I think the, the American Rorschach test of January 6th is if you tell me what you see on January 6th, I can I can interpret a lot of things about the way you look at the world. Do you, do you find that to be true as you go out and talk about J6 with folks? You know, that that is such a super uh, way to look at things. Man, I haven't really considered that. I, I, I've been more interested in trying to figure out why they see what they see or why they don't see what they don't see. Because I've got everything that happened that day. And, and I've got it on video half the time, you know, and, and witnesses. And it's a, amazing, Kyle, amazing that people have become so hateful toward each other because of orange man bad or because of whatever reason that they say horrible things to people like Mickey, Ashley's mom, you know, come on, you know, anytime you lose a child, I don't care if the child was right or wrong. They, why add pain to pain so much in such a hateful way? But that goes for both sides. Look what we say about George Floyd. You know what I'm saying? It's really amazing. But to think that the way people view it is, is anything other than programming. I don't think people realize how deep this is and how strategic and how long it's gone on. You know, the fact that propaganda is legal. How much of what we see is real from either side? Why are they both trying to always direct us toward 
conflict within the people because it is always a left to right in the street fight. And the one time we go to the government and say, hey, y'all are the problem, what happens? Yeah, you're correct. Um, that's definitely a problem. Okay, so here's here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna put you on the spot with a couple things. What did you see when you saw the George Floyd footage? Tell me, tell me what you interpret and how you see that in the world. Yeah, I didn't see a lot of uh, a lot of pressure, you know, as far as I could see. And, and just as a common sense kind of guy, you know, I'm big and physical. I played ball and I wrestle all that stuff. So uh, I don't feel like what he did could have caused someone's death for one. And I, and I see the crowd around that situation that day that was antagonistic and almost planting seeds for people to be able to take later and say, this is this. And, you know, just, just the spin on it all. And, and people understand that the same coroner that weighed in on the original coroner's decision there uh, on, on the Floyd trial is the same coroner from DC that lied about all the deaths of the, of the citizens from January 6th. It's the same guy. So you, you're seeing this whole power thing from the top down. And it, and it trickles into our lives every day, even when we don't know it. But he reversed that Chauvin decision. The, the first corner said, yeah, you know, drugs and the cop didn't do it. And this corner from D.C. called and said, you should fire your publicist. You should have never said that in public because you're wrong and we need the political points or whatever. So I, I think it's interesting. People don't know if they don't do their own research of who these people are and how they affect the whole game. Do you celebrate the death of George Floyd? No, not at all. Nobody's death. But but I also don't, I don't celebrate it, but I can place responsibility where it goes, you know, and, and that's a thing. You don't have to do that through hate. You know, you can do that just through common sense or knowledge or whatever, or what an unfortunate day. You know, I think it's horrible. And I think there's more to do with the the behind the scenes story than his death that people have any understanding of, you know, with the counterfeit bills and all the other things. I think that's everything's a cover-up of a cover-up of a cover-up at this point, you know, and, and a diversion, you know? So, I mean, chasing rabbits, we could do all day. We, we don't have whatever facts we don't have, but we have that video. We have the policeman that's sitting in jail for 30 years or whatever. I, I think that's ridiculous, you know, and, and I don't know how things changed all of a sudden in the length of time, during this administration, we're receiving long, long prison sentences from before this administration. I just don't remember it. So it feels personal to everyone. Oh, they're really punishing us. They're, you know, taking that pound of flesh and they are, but I want to know kind of when it started, how it started, why it started more than just sitting here and, and trying to suffer through it because we need to fix it. That's what people don't understand. This is a great time, Kyle, for everybody to come together and say the justice system's broken. You know, this is not, this is torturous. You know, there's things that you're not supposed to do to people. And it seems like our government doesn't mind doing those things anymore. That's why everybody's so mad. Oh, brown shirt this and Nazi that. And I totally get it. I totally get it. But calling names doesn't fix the problems either. You know, and even Trump said in his, inauguration you know i'm giving the power back to the people well why aren't we acting like that yet you know that that and kind of the direction i, I like to try to to take action it's about information you know education motor 
an activation. I know you talk about that all the time. You got to do something. You got to put your hands on it. You know, and and people just seem to be allergic to that or scared or don't know the importance of it. You know how important it is to the person that you're helping. A lot of times, and we've learned a lot of lessons, man, in the last two and a half years. Very hard lessons, but we've learned them together. We've found solutions as a family, as a group. And you know, I don't think either side of the political spectrum understands the power in the people and what they created with this information that we have now about the Uniparty and about how they're all working against us and how they're not defending us. They're not legislating in our behalf. They're not doing what they could or what they should for the American people. And I don't care which political side that is, they're people, they're Americans, they don't need to be tortured and suffer like that. So there's two words that come to mind. One of them is sympathy. That's the way that I feel. Um, I, I see that you feel a certain way and and I'm, I'm kind towards it. And then there's empathy, which is, means you feel a certain way and I can put myself in your shoes and feel that way as well. And I think a lot more Americans seem to have gotten a sense of empathy watching people that look more like them, that sound more like them, that had backgrounds, military service, working in a trade, something like that, going to jail over January 6th. We have a lot more empathy for the prison system. Uh, I'm going to monologue just for one second because you just brought up that we talked on a Twitter space about how, you know, I can have sympathy and I can sometimes have empathy for people going to jail that have punched a, a lady in the face and broken her orbital socket. I don't feel great putting that guy in a cage, especially when you see their face. They're another human being and they get locked up for the first time and they've been in county before and their buddies are all there. And they go to federal prison and you check them in. And we drive into the uh, what they call the man trap, which is where the uh, the gate closes and then another one closes behind you. You're in the vehicle. And he goes, is this the door? And I said, no, this is just the yard. And then you take him in through multiple multiple doors through the sally port and you go and you set him in and they weigh him and they change him. And I mean, the, the look in people's eyes when they realize that they are in a federal prison is a very unsettling thing to watch. And so I can feel for that person. I can feel for them, even if I don't like them as a human being. And I think the things they've done are atrocious. And right now, more people on the political right are getting a taste of that. I think people on the political left had a big sympathy towards criminals, maybe in a way that was not even healthy. But but there is a healthiness that everybody understands. We're talking about human beings. We're talking about taking their freedom. That should not be discussed lightly. Um, and and even people in law enforcement are a little bit guilty of it, this callousness, because that's what you do for a living. You, you got to kind of brush it off. So we're in a place now where we have a potential to see that there are human beings involved in the justice system, and some of them are going to be treated badly. Let's talk about the exploitation you see of prisoners, if you do. Um, I know we've kind of been in spaces about that, but I want to bring it to this audience in a, in a tight way. A couple minutes of your thoughts on how the justice system is treating, if there is a justice system at all. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's really interesting that people are finally understanding what's happening. Um, our J6ers are in these prisons and they're talking to other prisoners that aren't J6ers. And the common theme is, yeah, we're guilty, but we're not that guilty. They stacked all these charges on us to get us to take a plea, you know, and, and now they've got us in the system and now we're paying phone calls. They're making money on our labor. They're it's a system thing. I mean, we've got more prisons than anywhere in the world and we see why it's profitable for these people. But that, that lack of humanity, bro, that that's, I think something that politically it's really strange because like I said earlier with Trump, man, bad, you know, we even have women who were killed by police. We have black people who were almost killed, Philip Anderson for one. And, and you would think there'd be some crossover there with with communities to say, oh, you know, this maybe maybe something's going on here we didn't know. We thought it was all a bunch of white supremacists or whatever, Enrique Terrio, Afro Cuban. Nobody cares. So and 
point, we even lost the advantage we had amongst ourselves to humanize each other because of politics. And, and I don't think that the elevator reaches to the top for people when they realize there's a political pendulum that swings back and forth. So how people feel if, if we had our version of sedition hunters that was hunting down people in the street, hunting people on social media, turning them into the FBI. I, I mean, to be honest, I went ahead and bought AntifaHunters.org because, hey, it's either going to be used to find the bad Antifa guys or used in a way to protect someone else from using it in a horrible way. I don't want to hunt people. I don't think it's healthy for a country to feel this way. This is like right before a civil war, right? And, and I don't think people understand how close we get sometimes to just popping off or how close that the government wants us to be. I think that's the, the main key from that. But I, I don't know, man. I see these trials. I see the court cases. I see the, the posts on social media. And there is such an anger and such a hatred. People are not connecting. They're not communicating thoroughly or properly about this. They're not in a place to where they want to understand. And I say... And until your kid gets hit by a drunk, you're not going to join Mothers Against Drunk Drivers. This is kind of that same thing, because in, unless it affects you, you don't understand. But when it the criminal justice system, it affects everyone. And it's the same suits that have been doing this to other communities for decades. And, oh, I see the comments. Oh, well, y'all didn't care when it was us. Y'all didn't care until it happened to you. Isn't that the way it always goes, though? So it now is, we yep. care. Now we see, now we're experiencing that because time has passed the point to where we can even afford this legal system or we even understand it or the laws have been changed just enough to where we can't operate properly function in it and defend ourselves. So now we're all in the same boat. Do we work together and row to save ourselves or do we just let it sink around us? Because to me, it should be both sides addressing our politicians saying this is what we want. Otherwise, they're going to waste us and make us destroy each other. I want to uh, I want to make sure we continue that vein. I want to talk about dehumanizing language and also humanizing language, which has happened on both sides. Um, before we do that, I want to try to troubleshoot a little bit. We're getting a little bit of audio drop here, and I know that's taken away from our message. So the question is this. One, are you streaming the show in the background somewhere on the way in so we can uh, eliminate that? Ryan's giving me troubleshooting hints, hints over the uh, <laughs> over the text messages there. And the second thing is if you got a... a if you got a VPN on, that would be also a possibility that would, would cut you down. Let me see what's going on here. I know it's mostly because we're just catching momentary little glitches of the uh, of the audio, and, and I know it distracts people, and I think the message here is, is important. And more importantly, I think the message carries over. Uh, while we're doing that, if you think of the piece of the trailer, you've got a, a new documentary-style film that's out called January 6th. What is it called? The, the Real Timeline? Yeah, a true timeline. True yes. timeline. Um, what is what is the best trailer? What's the best place to find that? Ryan's going to go dig that piece up. I know we had a couple different ones lined up, but you can go to one thousand days of terror dot com one zero 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 days of terror and see both of the trailers and uh, just uh, people watch them both because if you just watch one, you'll be sad. You need to see them both so you can be properly outraged. We've kind of made one for each audience, if you will. And we're doing a little experiment in that respect to see how people react to it. It's been an amazing experiment so far, I can tell you that. 
Okay, so we're gonna pull the the teaser from that. I see the coming soon, and that was obviously released yesterday. From what I what I uh, got from you, is that correct? Yes, yes, that's right. Okay, what? Uh, let's run that trailer. If you like, I said, if you have VPN or anything like that on, if we can debunk it or shut down anything on the computer that's running in the background, that that might help a little bit. If it's not, we'll stick with it. We'll figure it out. I'm gonna let Ryan run the trailer of this, and then we're gonna talk about what you saw on January six, if that works. David, All one right. is a minute and nine seconds, and one is a minute and forty two seconds. Which one would you like to run first? I'll run back to back for you. Let's do the the longer one first. Get I'm it over with. All right. Fellow Americans, good morning. Certain dates echo throughout history, including dates that instantly remind all who have lived through them where they were and what they were doing when our democracy came under assault. Dates that occupy not only a place on our calendars, but a place in our collective memory. December 7th, 1941, September 11th, 2001, and January 6th, 2021. We didn't look away after the attack on Pearl Harbor. We didn't look away after the attacks on 9-11. They may have been from foreign powers, but we still, just because it was Americans who did this, we cannot look away after the attack of January 6th. Don't dare call them protesters. They were a riotous mob, insurrectionists, domestic terrorists. Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans represent an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic. What if I told you that the full story of January 6th isn't what you've been led to believe? What if I told you that at least four unarmed people were killed at the Capitol that day? What if I told you that there was no published restricted zone available to the public and that President Trump wasn't allowed to direct people to the specific rally points around the Capitol? What if I told you that police removed hundreds of barricades from the area of the first breach hours before it happened? What if I told you that the first group of demonstrators that breached security gates that morning had a police escort? What if I told you nothing, but showed you everything? What if we published the first accurate timeline with all of the footage and all of the context? What if we allowed you to decide? January 6th, a true timeline. Coming soon. Oh, I muted myself. Coming soon and available right now, actually. This was the uh, teaser trailer. It was released yesterday. I think we have David back, and we actually uh, may have corrected this this little connection problem. So, David, I'll, I look forward to having you uh, kind of tell people what they can expect looking at that after seeing the teaser. Kyle, Unless he's he coming right back in in two seconds. Yeah, he came back in, but he was frozen, <laughs> so he just left, and he's coming right back in. Fair enough. So, 
what you didn't see if you were uh, not watching our the trailer was the the fact that you were you're seeing the uh, Kamala Harris. There's obviously a lot of pause. There's a lot of drama that is built up around these speeches that they're giving. They're all Democrats at this point, and they are pushing this this long narrative. And I think that uh, Joe Biden is probably the best at showing what their position is, which is to say that they are they sound unhinged to me. If you you do these comparisons, I actually got in social media discussions about this literally yesterday. I saw January 6th equals 9-11 sort of evil on January 6th on a, on a day when we could all say Americans came together in, uh, you know, 22 years ago. We watched something horrific happen to our country. There are many reasons why, you know, that people have, have looked into it and stopped trusting media narratives because of it. But at the end of the day, a lot of people lost their lives. We saw some buildings fall down in a great American city and the skyline was forever changed. It was dramatically affecting me as a 19 year old. I know many, many men that are my age right now looked at that event and they said, I am going to war over this because someone has attacked our country. And they didn't go to war against the mainstream media and they didn't go to war against the political establishment. They went to war against a tangible enemy who legitimately hated the way of life that Americans lived. And instead of our our politicians saying we have the common thread, we have unity, we have a bunch of people that have looked at each other. And for the first time in quite a while, they said, my brother is an American and I don't care what they believe and I don't care what they look like. And so many of us that went into the military know what that looks like. I'm sure, David, you know what I'm talking about. But you see guys go in, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're on a construction crew or whether you're on a platoon that's marching through Afghanistan. The guy that's next to you is making sure that your job gets done. They're looking out for your safety. They're making sure that you're able to do your job in a way that you can come back home at the end of the day and make a living. And and man, it is really, really tough to say that instead of using that political capital and passing a bunch of things that said, we're going to protect the American people, we're going to reclaim a bunch of stuff that has been, you know, seeded away, they just passed a bunch of surveillance laws and they've been using it against us now. So we waited 20 years to see the seeds of that grow into, you know, the choking vine to tyranny. Um, I don't mean to get too poetic about it. <laughs> Let's talk about dehumanizing. Let's talk about the fact that uh, some of you know people are now seeing in in a new way the humanization of the prison system on both sides. Um, you know, we're getting accused of it, but that actually could be a really good thing that people on the political right are looking over and saying, "I now have some skin in the game when it comes to prisons." Listen, I, I think one of the best examples right now is sitting in jail, and, and you know, we're talking about nine eleven. People who took up that fight. I know a guy that, that when 9-11 happened, he was so upset that he joined the military. He went and served. He, he was awarded two Purple Hearts and, and you know all kinds of awards, medals uh, for service. And he's a January 6th now sitting in jail for 17 years. Now, if I stopped the story just before January 6th, we'd be looking for him to put him on the news and call him a hero. You mean you left your life when you saw 9-11 happen and you went and fought in the military and earned Purple Hearts, saved people's lives. You're a hero until you say January 6th. And, and that's where the disconnect is. That's where the, the people don't know what they don't know. And I've, all we've tried to do is show them, but that's what's happening, the dehumanizing. And you're right, man, if the right can look over to the left now and say, hey, we've been, you know, passive on this. We, we've just let this go. We didn't pay attention to it, which is the normal job of our politicians not to listen to us, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's par for the course, but we're listening and we're experiencing it and we're befriending other people in the prisons. You know, I've got one friend that he goes to prison and and they separate him from there. He starts organizing. He's like, hey, guys, what are you charged with? Yeah, yeah, it's overcharged. Let's talk about remedies and, and ways to fix this. So there is some bonding going on between people. And look, the Bible's really specific. It says to minister to the widow, the orphan, and the prisoner. It doesn't say witness to the innocent prisoners. 
It says all of them. And here we're trying to quantify who we can support and who we shouldn't because they're good or bad or they did things. But that goes for the widows and the orphans too. Do you just want to minister to the good orphans? You don't want to minister to the hard cases or, or the little old grumpy ladies. You want to leave them but be with the nice ones. It just doesn't work that way. So I think the more that we see that we're more alike than we are different on both sides. Look, we suffer from the same problems. We have the same hopes and desires. We have the same fears. And the more that those are made to look similar, then I think we'll find ourselves a lot faster. And right now, that biggest fear is the government for all people. You think people on the left aren't worried about Trump getting back in and flipping the switch and, and doing this whole thing. It, it, it's, it's terrifying to people because they don't understand what the programming is. Yeah, I would hate to see our country get into sort of like a Palestine and Israel scenario, but we're, we're kind of in that. Um, we, we, at least the first shots have been fired on there. Yeah, but they have. And, and listen, man, in Bloody Hill, our other our second documentary we put out at the end, man, I cry like a kid. And I'm like, you know, hey, we don't want a civil war. That is not what we want, but they're pushing us and pushing us and pushing us. And they stick those words in our mouth and they say, oh, these extremists and these violent Christian groups. And look at the SPLC, what they do. Look at these groups that are made to label people and, and drive hatred toward the, you know, it, it, when you've got abortion people that are okay, and then you've got Christian adoption agencies that are on a hate list, I, I, I don't understand where humanity is disconnected from children, for one, for babies. You know, I, 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 I worry for us punishment-wise from God for what we've done to our children. I mean, these are real issues that a lot of people don't see eye to eye on. And then, oh, it's the crazy Christian guy. Well, you know, maybe it's just my morality's different and I can't see, you know, murdering a child full term. Uh, I, I know there's families out there that would gladly love that child and raise that child. I'm a product of adoption, so I kind of, kind of get it different, I guess. You want to talk about that just a little bit? That's uh, I, I wouldn't have known that if you hadn't just volunteered it, and I probably should have been able to find that out. Uh, tell me, tell me what that's like growing up, knowing that somebody opened their house to you. Yeah, uh, you know, emotional. Did you I, know growing up that you were adopted? Yeah, yeah, from from as probably as early as I could understand it. You know, my brother was adopted from another family. He's four years older than me, and. Uh, you know, put in the best house. I, I can't, I can't express how great it is to know because not everybody gets that, man, especially through those systems. So I'm one of the lucky ones. And, you know, even to this day, we work closely with a nonprofit for kids that age out of the foster system. You know, we're trying to build a place for them because there's nowhere. And you look at statistics for these prisons. If you want to build a prison, you go to the foster system and you see what their numbers are because that's what you base your prison population on. That's the kids that'll be staying there eventually. And we see the trafficking, we see the crime rate within those communities of these kids that are just turned out in the street. And it's not like they were in a good environment up to that point because they weren't. They're abused by these people. They're given the Fauci drugs by these people, all these different mind altering, mood altering, oh, you have 80 and 80, all these things. So they're not in a good place when they leave. And now they're on the street. What are you supposed to do when, when they just turn you loose? When you're 18, okay, you're on your own. We can't keep you here any longer. They end up homeless. They end up in crime. They end up in bad places. And, and look, the church 
should have never let that happen. They should have never let the, the state take that responsibility away from them. And I'm not saying the church is perfect because we know it's not, but I can bet you it's better than the state and what they've done to them medically, psychologically, the, the court system, anybody that's familiar with it knows it's, it's, it's just trash. These kids don't have advocates. They don't have someone fighting for them in their corner. And, and we've learned so much about the abuses in that system that people just aren't aware of. And hopefully if they knew they would care, but Kyle, we're at a place to where if it's not Applebee's and soccer and T-ball and my 40 hour week job, that's all I have time for. I really don't want to get involved with anything else that's out of my wheelhouse because it's uncomfortable or I don't have time for that, or I'm not here for that. I want to be entertained. I want to be pacified and I don't want to have to work. You know, that's our microwave society we've been raised in to get everything quick and easy now. And, and we don't want to have to work for anything. It, it's our downfall, man. Ostensibly, we're a Christian nation, at least a majority Christian founded nation, tolerant of all pace, but uh, but that's the foundation. Um, one of the things that always sticks with me from the Bible, and it's hard for us to live it, is that uh, whatever you do to the least of these, that's what you, what you do unto me. That's what Jesus says to us. So what is our society doing to these least of us? Yeah, it's being the worst to us. You know, it really is. I mean, and imagine, uh, you just said it, that they, that they look for the, the populations of foster kids and then they decide what they're going to do with their prison building. If that's the mindset, I mean, that's the most unchristian, uncharitable thing that anybody could imagine, that you just look, what a, what a hard, pragmatic look in the world Kyle, without, with no it, hope. But it's the most profitable way. You know, why do you think prisons pop up? Oh, we need this. Our community needs this prison. It's a cash cow. You know, we make money. And until you're a prisoner and you say, gosh, man, it costs me to make phone calls. The shoes are marked. We talked about this on the space. The other day. Yeah, please dig into that as far as you can. Everything's more expensive. And I'm not saying it's two to three times or five times the price. It's just more expensive. And, and we'll, we'll talk about it from a J6 perspective. These people are broke. They've given all the money that they have to try to put a down payment on an attorney uh, for the lawyer so that they have to pay out the rest the rest of their lives. They'll be in debt forever. Mm -hmm. They're not winning the cases, so they're winding up in jail anyway. Mm -hmm. They can't pay their bills because they're the breadwinner and they're the ones sitting in prison. So they're reaching out to the public trying to get support just so they can have those phone calls. It probably takes about $200 a week for these guys in commissary. And here's the reason why I'm not saying sodium and sugar are, are better for you, but the things that they feed you from the prison probably aren't. So a lot of them live on the ramen noodles and the honey buns that you can buy prepackaged where people aren't spitting in your food or worse. And so the expense in that it's a racket. And then I know one guy that's working for the laundry, <clears throat> excuse me, the laundry, he gets $31 a month. That, that would be slave labor. And we know that it would be slave labor if they didn't pay them a dollar a day. So that's the way that they get out of it. But then they charge the state 12, 18, 20 bucks an hour for that laundry service. And that's the money they make. And they've got work programs, education programs. It's not really rehabilitation. It's how can we make our prison population more profitable for the shareholders? How can we maximize expense. Well, if we charge a little bit more for commissary, a little bit more on those shoes, they have to buy or the, when it's cold, they have to buy warm stuff because the heater's not on in the summer. You know, it's new underwear or shoes, flip flop. It's a racket on a racket. People don't appreciate it. And they think, Hey, if you did something bad, that's where you belong. 
you know, I don't know about all that. And, and I think that First Step Act Trump's been working on has done wonders for the, you know, nonviolent offenders. And, and, and then we have to start breaking that down and say, well, so you're charged with violence, but were you? We're having a lot of issues in our community right now. People are having this big disconnect. Oh, y'all were violent. You know, y'all did bad things. So we really can't support you. And, and they don't understand what self-defense looks like. They, they really don't. I mean, when you're attacked by someone and you react and you respond and you defend yourself, if someone were to walk up right at that point, you can't tell who started the fight. You just see a fight and you don't know what to do. Well, the police started this altercation. We have videos and stuff and it's cool, but people don't want to hear that. They think that we went to do violent things because there's some idiots in the crowd yelling some stupid things, which people always do. I don't care what side you're on. But for some reason, everybody thought that first day that we killed a policeman for some weird reason. And we can get into depth as much as you want on that. But Sicknick was not murdered by the crowd. A lot of people still don't know that because it's still mentioned. It's still never been properly retracted. They still have him at Arlington National Cemetery. And, you know, they still hit him in the in, it's just terrible what they've done with that story. And Sicknick's family, they're mad at me because I won't stop talking about it. But they're not living in reality either. They need to know the truth about what happened to their son so they can be properly outraged like we should, because literally the police let him die. As a matter of fact, Kyle, let me just keep going with that because I, I, I just got a message from a guy a few minutes ago that's one of the witnesses in that case. He was. What, what's the specific case? Uh, the Sicknick situation. The civil case against uh, people or what is? Well, no, it's it's more or less the guy that's going to jail today. He just texted me to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm about to go in. I said, I'm on a show. Call me here in a little while. So I want to talk to him again before he goes into prison. He was the second witness in the Brian Sicknick story. He's a combat medic. And he said he recognized Sicknick's name. And he said, hey, somebody said, Sicknick, you all right? Blow it off, you know, whatever. And he said, did you say Sicknick? I know his family. We're all ex-military. We're from the same area. I'm a combat medic. He's having a stroke. His face is white. His lips are blue. Let me treat him. Let me offer. Oh, we've got our own medics. And he said, well, where are they? Where are they? I don't see anybody working on it. Well, they're coming. They're coming. He said, dude, just uncuff me from the back to the front. Just let me let me. They said, mind your own business. That's about 7.30. And, you know, a couple hours later, Sicknick collapsed because his stroke had eaten his brain. But the first witness had taken Sicknick to the police line around 3 o'clock, between 3 and 4 o'clock, took Sicknick to the police and said, this guy's having a medical emergency. Can you help him? I've got both these witnesses. And yet the media took Sicknick and said, oh, they hit him with a fire extinguisher. They killed him. You know, the mob and all this stuff. Now, we've got video of a cop hitting him in the head with a stick, hitting Sick Nick. And we've got a, a video of a cop spraying Sick Nick by accident. Let's, let's pause on that for just one second, because I've seen the same video. Um, we had Steve Baker on. You probably know of Steve oh, yeah. Baker. Right. Uh, he's been on there. So he he ha he refutes a little bit of what you said. He said that he believes the cops actually did not draw first blood, but it was very close and it wasn't in a place where everyone could see it. Right. But the, uh, the protesters, at least some protester, whether they are instigators or not, involved the first movement of violence, whatever that was. And I, I'm not clear on it. And he could he'll speak for himself. Yeah. But that these things happened in all these different areas and all these different places. So as you just mentioned, when you're in the middle of something in a crowd like that, and I've been in those, you don't know where it starts or where it begins. You just know that suddenly around you it's violent. So I'll I'll we'll say that's that's totally excusable. But as far as the backswing, what it looked like from the video that I saw, and I've seen this on social media, I haven't seen it moved in like Fox News. 
But what I have seen is that a a, uh, a police officer from Capitol Police has one of the long collapsible extended batons. It's probably 36 inches, which is longer for, than DOJ allows us, by the way. Yes. And and he takes a swing. And as he does a big swing, he comes back. And in his backswing to go forward again, he thumps Sicknick right behind the ear. And Sicknick goes down and then goes backwards. And so I've seen that video. I think that's what you're referring to whether that caused long-term impact or not. But we do know the narrative was fire extinguisher, head, killed on site, and the FBI was uh, running that out too. Why was that narrative trotted out? Well, it it was totally intentional. They even broke the story an hour before he was dead. One of the news organizations leaked it out, trying to get first strike, I guess. Mm -hmm. They had to retract that story because they hadn't unplugged him yet. He wasn't dead yet. There's also been statements made that just the other day in in one of the trials that uh, his family, they had to you know wait until his family got, well, his family never made it. So for somebody, I think it was uh, Inspector Lloyd saying that the, the mob beat up one of the officers so bad they had to keep him on life support until the family got there. Well, Lloyd, the family never got there. He died before the family got there. So I don't know who you're talking about because the crowd didn't beat up anybody like that and send him to the hospital and put him on life support. That didn't happen. More lies in court but hey, let's let's backtrack that Matthew yep. Black with the hole in his cheek. Yep. At 107, when off Inspector Lloyd and uh, Waldo, there's two different cops are given the orders, and Waldo's screaming, "They're throwing stuff! They're attacking! Shoot! Fire! 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 Fire!" And the video, it, we, we're sitting there looking at it, nobody's throwing anything, nobody's shooting anything, nobody's doing anything. They're all standing right there, and Waldo seemed to be motivated to incite this violence from the police toward the crowd but but listen i found that i found the video of the cop in the perch with the gun and then we looked down to where the pushing on the left started it it depends on which side you're looking but joshua matthew black is standing there peacefully not doing anything and this policeman shoots and you see his head flip around and he looks like what just happened he 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 didn't know where it came from at all. He thought it was next to him. Somebody hit him or something. And these are rubber munitions. These are the uh, less than lethal is what they call them. But those are not meant to be aimed at faces. Actually, this was a, a marking round from what I understand, mm. an expired marking round that congealed. So usually it would hit and spray, but it okay. dried up. It was expired. So this is one of those things that activates under UV light so they can find out who's who uh, later on. If Well, bright yellow splatter because it's okay. yellow. So I think it was supposed to paint whatever they were trying to mark people in the crowd. But this thing set up and became a bullet. Yeah. You know, it, it didn't explode like it was supposed to. It penetrated him. And they were shooting those into the crowd. There's no telling who else, probably for fear of, of retribution. There were so many injuries that day. Thousands. People getting their heads cracked. Joshua Matthew Black ended up. Uh, going inside the Senate chamber to sit, you know, with, with the rest of the crowd. He never did anything violent. He never struck or pushed or did anything. And yet he's sitting in jail right now. That kid that got shot in the face is in prison right now. And, and, and I, I just don't see how that how that works, you know, and how people can be happy about that on either side, actually. Because to be fair, you use uh, something that is expired like that in a malfunctioning device. That means usually the uh, not just the the company that manufactured it uh, or the, uh, the the entity that held on to it for too long if it wasn't marked properly like they all get sued that's, that's right. I, I would see that in a Ferguson right if that happened in Ferguson yeah. it's everybody's lawsuit is named 
and nobody's lining up to take that guy's case, I imagine, right? No, 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 man, we can't get legal help for these guys. I mean, we, you know, what we can get, but no, there's nobody trying to knock it out of the park for these guys and get justice for J6ers. And that's where we come in. I mean, nobody else is pushing this and we believe it has to be in the public. You know, we're not going to get this through the politicians. They've had two and a half years to help us. They've had the evidence. They've had the murders. And we have evidence and witnesses for every single death. And you see this policeman here with the grenade launcher. We've got reports from the EMS radio. Uh, grenade launcher shot to face. Teeth missing. You know, all, all this. And you're not supposed to do that. That takes a less lethal munition and turns it into a lethal munition. And we know that Kevin Greeson had his emergency down there in the front when the grenades went off. And, and witnesses say that, you know, the grenade stopped his heart. That's where he was getting CPR. Now, Benjamin Phillips is a different story. He had a medical emergency and collapsed. But you, you can't imagine getting these grenades into a crowd full of women and children and people packed in so tight. And they're just randomly throwing them, not at suspects that are doing a specific thing and not in front of the crowd to push it back but in the middle of the crowd to make it spread out which does what even pushes it toward the police and i mean people were so scared of those and yet the people that weren't directly close to him took it as a rally cry they were like hey you know you're not going to scare us well it didn't land next to you and take a man's life so it's a really kind of a weird situation to witness for one but the reality of it is there was so much brutality. Now, in these pictures, you're not seeing the crowd fighting at all. Do you see anyone running at the cops or any? They're standing. These cops are standing there. Oh, now there's a little push on the left where the cops are being pushy, trying to offer cover for this guy to throw more grenade. I don't understand why people can't see that and just say, hey, those cops acted horribly. And I think this next uh, documentary that we put out about the timeline is really going to shed the light on that because we put the police body cams and their conversations and really try to show what actually happened through video, not not narration. We ask more questions than we than we give narrative to. So it's it's going to be an interesting thing for the public to actually get to see what happened that day. It's been a long time coming. Well, one of the things that I feel like I can weigh in on is somebody who's you know trained in use of force and been able to, uh, you know, at least had the authority to use violence when necessary. You talked about less than lethal musician munitions. That's the term we use less than lethal. And there are certain things that are less than lethal, which is specifically things like batons, right? But the way that you even train, uh, Ryan, and I'm going to do a quick demonstration visually here so people can see, I know we're showing a lot of footage, but, um, the, the way that we train with less than lethal is that if you have a baton and we train them to hit things like hands, because hands are a compliance tool. If you're coming at me with your hands and I tap you in the hand with a baton, you're going to pull that hand back. And so that is a less than lethal move. We might break your bones. I can hit you in arms. I can hit you in uh, body parts to the you know body blows. We train for those. Those are less than lethal. The minute that I get above the shoulder, now I am striking towards shoulder, neck, and head. Those are potentially lethal strikes with a less than lethal tool. Because as anyone knows, you've seen people die with a baseball bat hit to the head and so on. So when you use a less than lethal technique and you move it into a lethal range, a beanbag shot to the head can cause death. A beanbag shot to the throat could cause death. A beanbag shot to the chest generally will not. It's a body blow and it makes them think twice about where they're going. So these tools, when misused, are a major problem. And I don't mean to monologue on this thing, but it's so important that people understand the way those stun balls are designed... They are meant as crowd control methods to drive people to a certain direction. If people are charging at you and you throw a area denial tool like, let's say, CS gas 
in front of them, they don't penetrate the gas. That's the goal. You want to send it in front of a crowd and send them backwards away from the gas. When you send it into the crowd, which is what we've seen done, and it's not always possible to do it better, but in a tight little crowd like that, it's not the same thing as Porton where they were trying to disperse people and people had abilities to run away. They were sending it into the crowd and they had two choices. The people in the back could run away from it. The people in the front had to run away from it as well. And that went into the police line. It's a really, really bad training technique. It's not the way you train to use these tools. And I know these guys at least should have been trained on that because DC has a ton of protests. That's the thing that I think maybe you and I both can understand. There are a lot of protests. Do you have any idea how many protests go on in, in Washington, D.C. on a daily basis or on a weekly basis? Oh, I would figure eight to 10 a week. You know, there, there's a lot of activity in D.C. A lot of people want to go there and make their voice heard for many, many different reasons. And most stay peaceful. You never hear about it. But yep. from uh, 10 people to thousands of people, it happens right. with or without permits weekly. That's right. And, and I think people are going to be amazed at this film because we show more of the upfront. So like we said earlier, you, if you don't see who started the fight, you just see a fight and you want to break it up, whatever. But when you see who started the fight, I think that's really criti critical for people to understand. So we show the video where the crowd made it all the way to the front and you can hear them on their megaphone saying, please don't shoot us. Please don't spray us. We mean you no harm. We're here to address our grievances. You know, we're not BLM. We're not Antifa. And literally they're standing peacefully. And that's when Waldo and Lloyd start giving the attack, which on the inside of the building, Ted Cruz was giving his objections. And it seems like a really misfortunate uh, timing event, if you know what I mean, for the attack on the crowd to happen at the same time to give the mm. excuse to do what they did, you know, with the proceedings that day. But it, it kind of snowballed from there. The, the people, you can hear them in the crowd saying, get the women and children back. As soon as the police start shooting the rubber bullets in the crowd, uh, at 121 or so, I think they started throwing the grenades into the crowd. And, and it was really, I've got one video that's that you hear the crowd at 120 and they're standing, they're quiet. They're, they're waiting for some direction because they really didn't know what was going to happen. They're there to protest and they're all, and it's very quiet. You can listen to this crowd, but at 121, and he turned his camera off and then there were explosions. He turned his camera back on Who the is next this? minute. And the crowd is totally USA angry USA, and they're not going to back down. So you got guys telling them, get the women and children back. What does that mean? It means there's women and children and dogs in the crowd. Get them back. We're not going anywhere. You're not going to attack us and scare us off. We're going to stand our ground. We're here to protest. We're here to make our voices heard. And you're throwing these grenades at us. And then it was like a rally cry. Yeah, throw another one. We're not scared. Come on, man. What are you doing? So yeah, this a, police, a lot of combat vets in there, not uh, not actually instigated the same way. You've seen a lot of the footage, right? Hours and hours. I see the government footage. I have access to everything. OK. At what point did was it declared on bullhorns and, and loudspeakers that this has been declared a riot and unlawful protest and you now must disperse? When was that an, done? An hour and 10 minutes after the police started attacking people. And, and that's what people don't know. There were no safety exits. Given. There were no direction. Hey, if y'all will leave this way, we're going to start hurting you. You know, there was no compliance by the, the police. There was no warning. We, we say a lot of times on spaces and stuff, J6 with no warning because they didn't warn people. They didn't give you proper exits. They're throwing munitions in the crowd. They're shooting people on the front lines. They're doing all kinds of things and never warned us. But yet you hear Waldo, hey, I've warned them that we're going to use chemical stuff. Attack, attack. No. An hour and something later, they bring this one little speaker out that nobody can hear saying you must leave the riot area. Or whatever. I mean, it's so quiet. If, you, if you're not in front of it, you can't hear it. You can't hear it 30 feet away. They had these big sound systems, man, that worked. And it's not like they were malfunctioned. They could have turned that on 
or or Pittman or whoever gave the 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 text could have said instead of hey there's a curfew at six o'clock y'all enjoy your day and hang around until six but be sure and be in your hotel till that's basically what it said they should have said if you're on the capitol grounds you're going to be arrested you know you're going to prison and you need to evacuate the premises immediately and the end there's a curfew at six or if the police at the front gate that i was standing at when i got there had just said hey listen we found some explosives over at our other buildings. So we're going to need to sweep this area to make sure that everyone's safe. And I know y'all have permitted events on the grass, but it's probably in your best interest not to go on the yard because there could be pipe bombs. And I bet everybody would have stayed on the concrete. Or if they would have said, if you cross this line, you go to prison. I think people might have, but instead they sent two girls and three guys to try to block 10,000 people that were coming on the grass for what they thought was a concert. They, they thought Trump was going to come speak. They thought all these politicians were going to be talking on the grass. And then when we get to court, they want you they, they don't want you to mention that. They don't want you to say, hey, there were permitted events and and we were supposed to be on the grass. What are you talking about? It, it, you know, or First Amendment. You can't mention that. It's it's crazy, Kyle. Crazy. I want to I want to see if I can task Ryan something in real time. It's one of the joys of doing a live show. We'll see if we can make this happen. Ryan, if you would go look real quickly in the background, maybe search on your phone, see if you can find some of the riot announcements from Portland about what it looked like. These were federal officers in Portland that gave riot announcements. And we, if we can see them, I think it'd be an interesting contrast because as my recollection goes, those riot announcements happened before the chemical munitions, before the pepper balls started. They announced that you must now disperse. This was after like explosives were thrown from the Antifa crowd and so on. And they said, it's okay, now you're done. And this happened for a hundred nights in a row. So this should be, there should be plenty of evidence of this. I believe I've seen a lot of it. And you know what's interesting, too? I think BLM and Antifa are a little bit more used to those kind of orders. or those They know the rules. They do know the rules. And you know who didn't know the rules? Us. Because we don't do that stuff. We didn't go for that. We didn't go for a ride. We didn't take our guns. There was not one four-wheel drive truck on the grass. That's how you know it wasn't an insurrection. If it was an insurrection, we're going to take our four-wheel drives and we're going to there do would some be some. Work. There'd be some UTVs hitting that door, wouldn't there? I'm telling you, painted orange, Dukes of Hazard up on the steps, all that stuff. And it wasn't. Right. So, But we don't know the rules and the rules of engagement and attack and, and all those things. So they've used that against off. us. All right. Let's, let, okay. See, look at this. This is why we have Ryan. He's outstanding. Ryan's let's awesome, let's man. let's listen to a video of something from Portland. Uh, and this we're going to compare and contrast what we're listening to here. Go ahead. I think so anyways, hopeful. <laughs> yeah. NATO to Broadway, Columbia to Harvey Milk is closed. Wow. This is the Portland Police Bureau. This event is a riot. Thank you. Well, there you go, man. That's loud. That it turns out you can hear that across the entire city. Yeah. And and having been in Portland during some of that stuff, um, the recollection is pretty strong. The 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 riots, the protests turn into riots. They get out of hand, and then at some point, the police drive around with loudspeakers and let people know what's going on. I know they have the ability to do that in D.C. Oh, listen, they had the big sound system on the columns there, and they were actually there was bagpipe music coming out of them earlier in the day. So I don't. They, they actually so they were queued up and capable, even if they had to commandeer that 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 property, which was already behind the riot line. Absolutely. And, give and me no warning. Give me a unified look. I think there's I think there's some nuance that happens in January 6th. I think if and we were talking about it earlier, you look at the, the country and there's good and there's bad and there's people that are saying things that are on gradients one way or another. 
What is your unified view of what happened if you were to describe it in a couple of minutes to people who were not there? Um, and if there's any balance to, you know, who the victims are in this this scenario? Yeah, I, you know, that's a tough one. It, it really is. Uh, and justice is going to be even harder than that. But, you know, I, I see it as a setup in a lot of ways that people don't really consider, I guess. And, and the politics of it all, when you see the government trying to push a narrative toward domestic violent extremists, and, you know, anybody that's a threat to persons or property, I, I think that's the, the most chilling factor of where we live now, because that means that anybody goes and protests now, if you're a threat or, or even a perceived threat, you can be thrown in jail indefinitely without due process, no bail, no bond, and no hope, no defense. And, and that's where the J6ers have found themselves. I think most people went down to the Capitol to protest, to make their voices heard, to peacefully and patriotically march, just like Trump said. What percentage do you think that was? 99.5, you know, I, I, and, and honestly, because the people that made it, this is another interesting point, and I, and I say it all the time, man. Um, it's been determined publicly by everyone that there were not enough police to control the crowd. So who controlled the crowd? The crowd did. Listen, the police beat, shot, and bombed this crowd for over an hour, and the crowd just wouldn't submit and wouldn't play that game. We didn't eat any policemen that day. If we were cannibals, I've said this in a show, we could have eaten every policeman that, that day. Everybody could have had two bites, and we all could have gone home hungry because there weren't enough police to go around. But we didn't. We didn't kill any policeman at all, all day. Over 50% of police injuries were self-inflicted. If they had to write out in their report that they got pepper sprayed or that they got gassed, they didn't put the part where it was the police that threw it and it came back and wiped out two platoons. They just said they got gassed. Well, they're the ones that had the gas. So it's really kind of funny how they stack, oh, 150 something officers were injured. Well, you know how many hundreds of people were injured with those baton strikes to the head, you know, with grenades to the face, with, with just blatant abuse. So I think that conservatives by and large don't start fights, but they do defend themselves. And I think they were put into that position intentionally. And I think that the powers that were in control of that event wanted a higher body count. I think they wanted more bloodshed. They wanted a bigger reaction from us and we never gave it to them. They got their four victims from that day and then they got officer Sicknick. But all those deaths are on the Capitol and the Metro police. And I'll tell you, I believe that the lack of information and intel was to set the Capitol police up. The Metro police was basically the strong arm. And if you look in the media now, everybody's blaming the Capitol Police. Just, oh, they were woefully unprepared. They didn't have the equipment. They didn't have that. But that's just a surface, a, a topical thing. When you dig into it, their helmets were taken away several days before because they were expired and they weren't replaced yet. Or they didn't get the information that they were going to have a, a big event, of course. So when you look at the, the give and take of information and how that was not a free experiment for everyone. Yogalanda Pittman, for one, held a lot. I mean, there's intel that never made it to the top. It's choreographed chaos. It's intentional. It's criminal. And, and you know, our, our big push has, to been, has been to take these congressmen and senators and say, hey, we understand what you've been told by the media. We understand the lies, but we don't say it like that. The reality is, here's the witnesses, here's the testimony. Three people were killed by the police. One was not rendered aid. 
and one was the the stroke which is also on the police and there's the facts now if that's a felony aren't they supposed to report those felonies and if they don't can't they go to jail for three years that's my hope that they can and that they do because we've reported these things and nobody's reported them for investigation they still sit dormant one of the big criticisms i think of the j6 crowd was that this is a you know protect the police back the blue type of crowd sure. and this is all the thing you say right up until the, the police are um, you know doing something and quote unquote their jobs and then suddenly they're they're willing to pile onto the police how do you answer stuff like that uh you know it goes back to self-defense I, I don't think anybody can be in a position i don't care if you're police i don't care if you're president if the president came up and attacked me i'm gonna defend myself i'm gonna defend people around me if i see the president running over there kicking some little kid in the head you bet yourself I'm going to go over there and do something about it. And that's what's happening on January 6th. People went, they were standing at the front line. Matthew Black gets shot in the face out of nowhere. How do you, how do you defend against that? You know, for the people that want to stand up for the police, how do you, there was nothing happening. There was no advance. There was no push and shove. People literally standing in front of the police and all were peaceful and then boom. So after an hour of that, they finally call it a riot. They, they never give proper evacuation orders. It seems like it needs to be investigated by some, you know, real professionals. We've done the best we can and try to submit all this stuff for court, for court cases. But, you know, the, the judges are as biased as the public and as biased as the politicians. And we're not getting any support from our side. You know, there, there are politicians that know what we know about the deaths and everything that really haven't done anything about it. So it just kind of brings you to the position of it's us against them, unfortunately. And. You know, us is all the people on both sides and them is the powers that be, the government, the representatives that don't represent us. And, and that's a real scary place, I think, for, for everyone. Even if you don't know you're there, uh, I think it's scary. And uh, I hope more people wake up to that reality, brother. So let's talk about the, the documentaries you've made. You've got uh, now your third one uh, in the can, it sounds like, and you've got uh, what two of them released. Is that correct? Yeah, the first one was called Writing History, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, The Journalistic Battle of January 6th, which it is. It's still a journalistic battle. It's it's who's going to tell what story and who's going to get them to believe it. So it's the propaganda war in a lot of ways. But that battle continues. So Writing History was the first, 37 minutes long. It's not very bad. And then the second was called Bloody Hill. And it's basically three people's uh, opinions of the day and explanations of how January 6th is comparable to the seven abominations in the Bible, lying and killing and all. So it's a really interesting, but but it gives you facts about the select committee and events of the day. And Trennis Evans as well gives his personal experience as a defendant and what he's experienced with the raids from the FBI on his home and child holding his, his son at gunpoint stuff. And, uh, you know, we see more and more that the third one the J6, a true timeline is, is really going to be kind of like both of them combined. But the difference is we've had two and a half years of collection and, and research investigation. So we figured out who instigated what their names are. We got their body camera to prove it. We've got everything that people really need to see. And, and, and to me, it's a really huge test brother to see, who's willing to believe the truth that they see with their own eyes. And I know it's not a lot because we see this every day. We put videos out every day that show facts, show truth, and people still just try to 
destroy oh you 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 know that's what you get kind of stuff and they don't have any idea what they're talking about but they've been so programmed to react that they can't listen you know why do you think people are so emotionally connected to that uh, belief they they grabbed on january 6th you know it's it's hard to say I, I know a lot of it just goes back to trump you know you either love him or you hate him and unfortunately he's just another him you know in, in a couple of years it'll be somebody else. And a couple of years ago, it was somebody else. And, you know, he's just a politician. And I tell everybody all the time, like, oh, you Trumpers and you Kool-Aid drinkers and all that. Like, yeah, you know, I voted for him twice. But you know what? I don't own a Trump shirt. I don't own a Trump hat. I don't worship the man. I don't care about that. He's the president. He's done a great job with what he could do. And I voted for him again because I, I like the policies. I like what he did for the prison system. I like what he was doing at the border. I, I liked a lot of stuff. I didn't like everything. I didn't like Operation Warp Speed. I don't like a lot of the silence from him about January 6th when I feel like he could have offered J6ers more help. But at the same time, he did tell people in that CNN interview, these are great people and they're being treated like hell. So I want people to understand that they deserve your, your support and your respect. He said so himself. So let's be sure and get that connection made. And, and, and listen, Kyle, I'll tell you, we've, we've tried to be proactive from day one. I did a podcast on, on January 8th. As soon as I got home, it was a 24-hour drive. So I got home and jumped on a podcast. I want to tell my friend from the UK everything I witnessed, you know, from the FBI to Antifa to the, to the police actions and brutalities, the deaths that we are, were aware of already. Man, I cried on the thing. It was crazy. But I wasn't wrong about it. one single thing I said. And, and I'm telling you, two and a half years later to look back on that and go, wow, how do we already know everything that was going on? And why is it taking two and a half years and people still don't get it? But from day one, man, I've tried to be proactive for the people. We started the Stop Hate Department of Defense so that people can have a place, a portal with all the gifts in goes for all these people they can support. Um, we've got calls to action at stophate.com slash J6 from prayer groups to letter writing to congressmen to sing for freedom to free down there's 20 different calls to action whatever your gift is jump in there and grab something and help us out and you know providing the tools to do the job i know you know how important it is to have the right tools for the job we've just tried to be proactive in that as a carpenter you know i want the best saw so i can do the best cuts and some of this stuff is like the free downloads we've got posters and banners and things that people can order from their own print shop. They're free. I mean, we, we provide all this just like our movies, the documentaries, the articles. I've paid for everything out of my pocket as best I can. We get very little help, a little help, and it's greatly appreciated. But I, I haven't really asked for help for us because I've been asking help for these J6ers. They're starving. Go to stophate.com, and, and there's a little box that turns around. You'll see the next story, the next story. One of those is a, a death count article. And it talks about all the people who've died in car wrecks or suicides. You'll be amazed at when you see the body count surrounding, you know, or associated with January 6th. People have no idea how many suicides we've had from people that cannot handle the weight of the federal government and the DOJ. You, you know, you think Chauvin was bad for putting his knee. So that right there, five deaths. And there's an FBI story, and it just rotates around. And uh, what were the police doing is a really good video. That'll show you a lot of the brutality. But that right there, the death count article. And, and I'm telling you, just knowing that there's 16 people is too many, wouldn't you say? I mean, we know of five. 
those. And that's all we've ever heard. Nobody's kept up. That's intentional. They don't want you to know how much pain and suffering has trickled down to these families and how it affects communities and churches and neighborhoods. We call it social terrorism because you, you can't not only bank anymore or use anything electronic, but you lose your life, you lose your job, you lose your friends because nobody understands. Yep. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of hatred. I, I guess stop hate is as good as any uh, name for what's going on there because it does feel like it's hate drawn and it does feel like there's an awful lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of negativity surrounding all of this thing. The one thing I see a lot too, is that you, you get called grifter. Is that one of your things that you get uh, hit with? Yeah, I don't so much. I know a lot of the people do. I'm very super transparent and anybody that goes on the website can see that I'm a pass through portal. We don't touch the money. We don't collect it and divvy it out. You know, if I put somebody's link on there, it goes straight to them. So I, I've never really got, I, I'm not the money guy. We don't, I'm going in the hole big time for doing this stuff myself. So that's, I'm that's the thing that's so true about everybody. I yeah. think that's involved in that. I mean, well, actually not that there are a lot of scams out there that are taking advantage of this. There are, there are. And look, we sell t-shirts and stuff. I don't push them. You know, we sell mugs and coffee cups and stuff. I just don't push it. You know, if I'm going to be on a show, people, people can't take two calls to action, man. They just can't. You know, if I said, Hey, support right. these prisoners and support me, they're going to pick one. So when I go out, I say, support these prisoners and their families. They need it, man. So bad. Yeah, they're in bad shape. All right, you've talked a little bit about uh, the the websites. Go ahead and hit them again, if you would, and, and plug those socials where people can follow and see the, your calls to action. And obviously, they'll see the uh, the uh, the free documentaries that you guys have put out there, a lot of the work that you've done into it. Yeah, absolutely. Please, and share them. That's my biggest thing. If you people can get on there and just share. We've done a lot of the legwork. We've pro provided the tools. But stophate.com, and, and then, of course, stophate.com slash J6, the J6 tab, is really what has the calls to action that you can help us share uh, the different groups and supporters that, that, that are really involved in the mission. And, and these are things, everybody has a gift. Everybody has a specialty. Just pick what yours is and adopt some people. We're about to do the, the toy drive again for the children. We raised $53,000 last year through Patriot Mail Project. So get involved with these kids. If nothing else, man, don't blame the children. I don't care which side you're on. These kids are suffering horribly. Imagine Joe Biggs' daughter, you know, the Purple Heart guy that started fighting because of 9-11, and he's in prison for 17 years. He wants nothing more than to just take his girl to school and give her a hug. I mean, and he can't. It's not going to happen until she's grown if he stays in there. People don't understand the depravity that the, the, these people, and it's sad, man. It's torturous. And listen, if you look up terrorism in the dictionary, I got to go here. Terrorism, the unlawful use of violence and intimidation especially against civilians for political aims. That's the definition of our government. That's what they've done to other communities for decades. That's what they're doing to us now. It's time that we all get together and see what it's about to fix it, but peacefully. You know, we never advocate violence or anything, but this is the real place that we live, folks, and I don't think that everybody can fully appreciate it until it affects them. But when it does, it's too late. You know, when they come kick your door in, you're in jail. You can't prepare for that anymore. And your family can't. And, you know, the FBI has been in my house five times. I've talked to him three of those times and I'm, I'm not scared. I'm not hiding, but I'm also not supposed to talk to him. And, and yeah. I find that very difficult because I've done nothing wrong. I'm extremely honest. I have clear evidence. And the last guys that came to my house, I even showed them the movie trailer for the, the, the it was really fun. <laughs> How was but, that received? 
you know, I, well, they, they asked me, they said, well, what do you do with this? Do you put it on YouTube? I said, no, man, are you kidding me? YouTube won't let They censor us. And they said, well, even this? I was like, I really felt sorry for those guys because they were so not in the know. And, and I said, hey, can I get a business card from you? They were like, yeah, we really don't do business cards and stuff. They end up in the bathroom. I said, well, that's funny. The last FBI that was at my house gave me a business card. I got a box like, full of my business cards from each one of my offices that I haven't handed out yet. I got all kinds of business cards. That's nonsense. Well, he said that they don't hand them out. And I said, well, the last guy did. He said, what? The FBI has been here before? I said, dude, the FBI has been here four times. That's not in your file. You're coming over here green. You don't even know who I am. You don't know I testified in three of these cases that I work with all the lawyers, that I do all this video stuff that I put out. Doc, you don't know who I am. What are you just going to come shoot me and figure that out later? That's kind of the way it makes you feel. And like they're setting you up when they're asking you, like, are you in a militia? No. Do you own guns? Yeah, everybody in Texas owns guns, dude. What are you talking from? BB guns up. What do you want? What are you doing? Do you know where the judge lives? Why would I care where the judge lives? No, I'm not after anybody. I'm not that guy. I speak truth and that scares you and I'm okay with that. But don't come over here and shoot me and my family and my house and my dog and all that stuff just because you're an idiot and you don't do your homework. See, that's where I have a disconnect. And I felt sorry for these guys. They looked completely stupid because they didn't know anything about anything. So I recorded the second half of that interview. I posted it on our social media. All our social media stuff's at stophate.com slash follow us. You can find everywhere from you know Twitter down the line. So That's we try perfect. to put this information out for everybody, Kyle. We just need help, you know, sharing it and and getting the truth to a bigger audience. And anybody that can help with that is a dear friend of ours. I appreciate all that. You know what's really interesting about terrorists that I've always noticed? What's that? They always claim responsibility for their actions. Wow. Think wow. about how think about how proud DOJ is is what they're doing right now. They are acting like terrorists. I will say it straight up, and I'm someone yeah. who used to take that paycheck. There's something real sad about how little these guys know about it. It's called the banality of evil for most people. It's when you just put your head down and go to work every day and you don't look around and say, what am I being asked to do? And is this thing moral? Is it uh, ethical? Is it legal? And if it's not, if it's illegal, immoral, or unethical, and you're not asking those questions, you're part of the terrorist, man. Uh, you, right. you, there's a lot of people there in the FBI that are decent human beings that are participating in a, in a very, very banal evil because they do not know. They do not know what they're doing and they do not have any awareness and they'd never seen this footage and they don't even know who you are. They don't know who anybody is. They just go out there. They, as, as they used to teach the guys in Quantico, apparently, cause I used to get these new kids coming out. They would say, your name came across my desk. That's why I'm here to talk to you. It's like, that's, is that, is just a conveyor belt? You just pick off names. What the hell are you talking about? You didn't do the background. I would go and dig into anybody I want to talk to. That's I want to know who I'm talking to. What is their background? Do they have a criminal history? Do they own a gun? You know, they have a gun permit. Are they someone that has uh, been in the news? Are there any news articles? This, it's really easy. You just tell one of the intel handles. That's what they do for a living. You say, hey, go go give me background on this guy. Well, it's it's really funny. A, or, or a targeting package is what they would call it if it was more serious. Yeah, well, I imagine I have a couple of those packages. I don't know how that, that works. But mm -hmm. you know, it's funny because I, I'm still looking for those uh, Trumpers or, or whatever that had the plan. You know, I, I can tell you, there's got to be a blueprint on somebody's wall, right? Like with all People the with, with all the strings. Yeah, they got the big mouths, man. You think they could keep this quiet for two and a half years? Yeah, I really had the plan. It was me. I started. I did all that stuff. I haven't heard from those people yet, and nobody else has. So, you know, as far as the plan, I know that started when President Trump said, "Let's let's march down there." Everything after that, after the fight started, you know, it, it's really hard to tell what happened. I know that people defended themselves. I know I'm proud of the J6ers for not reacting worse they we, we could it could have been horrible death numbers is the way i always say and it could have man we could have killed all those police we could have burned down the building we could have took home paperweights we could have destroyed the whole place 
But, you know, when we left, we didn't tear up things on the way home. We didn't tear up our homes when we got there. We didn't run. The FBI is not catching people all over the world. They're catching them at home because that's where they are, because they're not scared, because they're not running, because they know they didn't do anything wrong. And they're amazed when they come knock on the door anyway and, and give the complimentary flashbang, you know, bring the family out, hold them at gunpoint at six in the morning. And, and, and it's just mind boggling why the government is trying to create terrorists by these children that miss their parents and these people that are put in jail, you know, for wrong reasons. And, and that's how you make the citizens really, really mad. And then who are they going to try to take it out on? We don't know. We don't want that. But is that something that's going to be fought against each other? Or are they going to get the point of who's doing this to both sides and be angry with the government and demand a change? I guess we will see. It is an ugly time right now. And uh, I wish safety for those. I wish uh, I wish discernment, too. I hope we all pray for discernment for those that are in positions that's of power huge, like this. Right? That's really huge. Right it is. Hey, David, thanks for joining me this morning. Thanks for sitting with us and talking, sharing the message. Thanks for what you do fighting hate. I think it's a great uh, message and folks, you can follow him. We'll have all the links in the uh, description of the show. If you're listening on the audio or the video, you can find that and follow him on Twitter and all those kind of places. Hey, uh, Kyle, God bless you, brother. Keep you safe as well, man. I appreciate all you've done and it's been great to get to know you, man. Yeah, likewise. I look forward to seeing you more on uh, Twitter spaces. I know we'll do it again soon. Sounds great. Thanks. All right, buddy. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been watching the Kyle Serafin Show. We are streamed live from Liberty Hill, Texas. If you are a member of one of the lunatics out there that is trying to hunt down me and my family, I advise you against coming to Liberty Hill, Texas. We got cemeteries here, too. It's a good hill to die on. If you choose to, it will be you. Do not threaten my wife or family, as I keep seeing people do on social media. That is just a no-go. The Serafin family are not soft targets. We are aggressive and we defend ourselves in that way. I don't know why I need to say that, but that uh, needed to be done. People are out there doxing my wife and coming after it. So not your guy, man. I'm not your guy. And also you'll see, we're going to be putting out some clips today on our social media, talking about the uh, open carry rallies that are going on in Albuquerque. It is uh, happening at 2 PM in Albuquerque. So expect that that's 2 PM mountain time. You'll expect them uh, 3 PM central 4 PM going onward in the East coast. We're going to start putting some of these videos. Uh, we had Ben Luna on yesterday. He's going to take some ground footage for us. And we are, uh, we are pro carry. Generally speaking, we are pro um, concealed carry. This is my concealed carry piece that I just picked up today. It's another one. I've been carrying a Glock for a long time. Folks, carry your weapons, take care of yourselves. You are your own first responder. All right, let's, uh, let's do some thank yous here. We want to say thanks to all of our super chats that came in today. The rumble rants, uh, especially the last one that I saw up here from Poe Rusty Poe, which said, thanks for all you're doing, Kyle, smash the like button. Please do. Please like this videos. Please share these videos. And we want to say thanks for all of the five-star reviews we get on Apple. Here's one of them today. This is definitely, this is from 100% not at real Steve friend. This was definitely not real Steve friend writing this, uh, this review. It says five stars for friendly Friday. Absolutely love friendly Fridays at real Steve friend offers fascinating perspectives, substantive insight and side splitting humor to the podcast. He's not hard on the eyes either. At real Steve friend is totally the face of the suspendables franchise. Kyle is okay too. Again, that's written by hundred percent, not at real Steve friend. I know our buddy Steve did not write that. He told me he didn't. He said he definitely needed that read on the podcast, but that he didn't write it. So there you go, folks. Uh, put your own up. We'll even read silly things from our friends up there. If you want to leave us a funny message and a five-star review, we do appreciate it. It does help the podcast grow. We're almost at 700, and our goal is 1,000 by the end of the year. I think we're going to get there. Just like we we topped 100,000 followers on Twitter, it's a little, uh, little finger, a little middle finger to the FBI that we are getting this platform and this reach, and so many of you guys are responding to it. We, we love it that you guys are doing it. Um, share it on all the places you got. And, uh, we want to say thanks to Ryan Matta. I should, uh, absolutely say that Ryan Matta at Ryan Matta media, M A T T A. Ryan's a fantastic guy. You can see his show on LFA TV. There he is. He's got a Patriot Tumblr sitting next to him. He is out there on the, uh, 
on the active real-time research, bringing us the videos we need and queuing this thing up, making it all run smoothly, even solving the VPN problem in the background. So thanks so much, y'all, for, uh, for supporting the show. And we will see you again tomorrow with another outstanding interview. Stand by for that. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live weekdays on rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter, Truth Social, and Instagram at Kyle Serafin.